Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice. And instead, it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion, seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So, Wayne, it has been three months since you took the test I described earlier. Six months since the events that occurred in Remembrance. How have all this that has happened, including the conversation with Meredith, and the offer that was brought up to you guys and the route that you guys decided to go, especially starting Dakota Investigative Services. How has that impacted Wayne and what has been going on in Wayne's life since then? So it impacted Wayne in a really profound way. Uh, I think I, I kind of mentioned before in the last session that he sort of sees his life in two phases now. Before all this stuff happened and you know the the post the post having gone into the 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 shed basically and he's not really sure like what to exactly make of all that he feels like he's had a a curtain basically lifted and there's all this this stuff that he couldn't have imagined before that is just like now suddenly on the table so he couldn't continue working at the convenience store uh he probably went in for his next shift and then after like a half hour or so, just ghosted them. Um, his results on the test were surprising to him, but he just went with it. He just, he was just, I mean, he wasn't sure that being a private investigator would work out for him, a man with not very many skills, uh, kind of this stoner guy with long hair and, and a mustache, kind of like a sort of a hippie in a way. But when he opened the results and and he saw that, he just, it just makes sense. It's just the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to do this with my friends. And, you know, whether or not he doesn't really care about the, the honesty and and how that happened. He doesn't care about the system. He has no, no love for that. He, he grew up really poor. He was in trouble a lot as a kid. He doesn't care about having, having cheated and not earned it on merit. That's not something that really matters to him at all. Uh, another thing that's, really been important for him is Raymond and uh, trying to be part of the, the just hanging out at, at Standing Rock. Uh, 
as pathetic as it sounds, he probably would just do anything to to try to like get some of Raymond's wisdom, you know, even if that just means hanging out, you know, around the place and just being that one white face that everybody is kind of just like shaking their head at, like he doesn't care. He really doesn't care. He'll, he'll stick around until, uh, you know, until he's like a part of it because he really does genuinely want to get uh, Raymond's wisdom. He thinks this man knows a lot and could teach him a lot. So is that why you want that mentorship and for, people listening adam the player of wayne spent xp on the background mentor and chose to have raymond che's grandfather be his mentor che was the individual who they who through that sweat lodge scene i forgot the legitimate lakota name for it off the top of my head and which kind of opened all these doors now what to go back to wayne's reasoning like what you said was his wisdom that pulled it was Raymond's wisdom that pulled Wayne to him? Like Wayne wants to emulate that or what exactly? He doesn't want to emulate the the old man. He doesn't feel like he could, he could be like him. I mean, he comes from an entirely different culture. He just would like to, to gain, you know, any, any little bit that the man can pass on to him because he feels like he's, he's a really wise person. He was able to show him something that was truly mystical, something that was truly eye opening in so many ways. And Wayne has probably done um, hallucinogenic drugs before. He's probably done like mushrooms or or acid in his life. And, you know, this is just way, way more profound than anything he's ever experienced on, on things like that. This is just, you know, way more spiritual. And he's just, you know, trying to trying to see if there's anything that that he can he can pass on to him. And he just respects the guy so much. He just, you know, he wants to be around him. He has no father figure anymore. He has no, uh, I mean, he's very much an adult, but he has no adult to try to, um, he has no, like, he has no dad to try to, like, uh, impress or anything like that. Like, maybe he could, you know, use this man as that. See, that that kind of what you said, I kind of have two kind of things I want to delve into a little bit more about what you all just said. One, you kind of touched on a little bit towards the end there was your father and not, having that that father figure now the relationship that you had Wayne had with his father at the time when he was younger was kind of a difficult one because his father was kind of like a, a church going preacher type very down the you know straight as an arrow type christian believed in good and bad thought what Wayne the lifestyle he was living was bad but then also the fact that your brother had killed himself at one point and you found out with the events that happened in the first story arc remembrance that Welk said it cursed you to that everyone that you loved would die. And two figures that were really important to you in your life, one, your brother who you were close to who died, but then your father who you didn't realize at the time how much in a way you were like him, you know, that you had that subliminal love for him in your subconscious died also. Now, when you look at Raymond now, mind you, two completely different people, two completely different backgrounds, in a way totally very different. Do you see like similarities in Raymond that you think your father like may have had, especially that vision or conversation? Who knows what exactly it was you had in the sweat lodge with your father when he told you that he was proud of you? Like, are you trying do you see like similarities in that? And you're hoping to like, you know, take those little nuggets and also what Raymond offers on his own, obviously being his own man, but 
is it kind of like a dual purpose like that? Well, um, Wayne's dad was, was pretty shitty. Uh, he's, he's not going to, you know, hopefully not going to get any of that in, in Raymond, but still, uh, Wayne did want to, he didn't realize it as a, as a young man, but when his father passed away, he did care about what his father thought of him. He did care about someday earning his respect and earning his trust because the way that his dad had seen him up, you know, at the end of his life was he had long hair. He was this, you know, troublemaking kid, total disappointment, just could not be more disappointed in the guy. And so like Wayne kind of resisted his father. And then when his father passed, it was, it was too late to make amends, you know, but he's not really, he doesn't really see the similarities in, in Raymond because, you know, Raymond is, is way more of a, a welcoming man from the, you know, from the little bit we've, we've already seen of him, just like from the sweat lodge scene, the, the different times we've seen him or heard of him helping people, you know? So I would say he's probably the polar opposite of, of Wayne's father, but. This is a father Wayne wish he would have had then. Absolutely. Like, it's like, it's almost like uh, in a weird way, a weird, sick way, he's trying to, you know, replace like this bad experience with like, hmm. maybe I could make like this good experience with this other person and just like, and it's, it's bizarre. It's probably nothing that he would rationalize like to himself as that. It's just like, he finds himself. Well, I wouldn't say it's bizarre. I would say like you, you, like you said with Wayne, there's the Wayne before and the Wayne after. And with the new Wayne, the Wayne after there's new relationships, there's new goals. And so you can even look at Raymond as like the father of this new reborn Wayne. You know, we talked about in that first session how you definitely believe there's a sense of good and evil that occurred with what happened. Now, Raymond is more, I would say, a man of the world, even though he's in Standing Rock, even though he's by this real small city, Bismarck in North Dakota. You know, Raymond had experiences uh, in the Great War, also had experiences kind of delving into psychology, which was like a new thing, especially in the Native community and his new kind of like way of counseling that he has there, trying to help others out. And so... Yeah, definitely. He he is is a very welcoming figure, and especially the fact that they're even before you decided there to be to spend the XP on making him a mentor, that there was already kind of like a connection between you and him just from the first arc, the little conversations that you had and how he seemed welcoming. And also, like you said, there's this new Wayne. There's this Wayne who feels that there's definitely a purpose. There, 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 that conversation you had in the Denny's with the whole group when you were trying to convince Derek to start working with you guys, like, hey, this is a good and evil thing. Like, we are doing what is good here. Like, there's there's a purpose. There's, there's this to it. And you can almost look at, and I'm trying to avoid analogies that are kind of corny, but like, there's almost like a, a, a wise man aspect to Raymond, you know, like where he's kind of guiding you along this path. Now it could be inner discovery, you know, not, you know, Raymond's not usually the type. And he probably, Raymond doesn't even probably know the full extent of what you guys saw, but you know, just like a rediscovering of who you are, you know, like you said, you're the reborn, you're the new Wayne. And along with that comes a whole new learning process and a whole new way of thinking. So that's good. One final thing I want to ask about that was you mentioned drugs, Wayne's past, behavior with drugs and we know that you not to not to make light of it or whatever but you smoked a joint at right after the events before you went into the main bar now six months later is wayne still using drugs or is he kind of like like what's his lifestyle i mean we know he doesn't work we know he has a sense of purpose now which kind of leads to a second question and after you explain the drug thing is how does wayne look at his job right now in the dakota investigative services business um well not much has changed as far as 
in his lifestyle, like in that regard, uh, he still definitely smokes marijuana, still drinks alcohol, smokes cigarettes, has no desire to do like all the crazy things he's done in his life, but he hasn't given up any of his vices or, or really he doesn't see them as uh, vices. Yeah. They're just a part of life, like smoke, yeah. smoking dope and, you know, having beers and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Like, what are you weird or something? You know, <laughs> you, do, you know? Yeah. So this is more like when you said like good and evil, this is more like a philosophical experience with them. Right. More than a religious, like, you know, I'm living the straight and narrow for sure. It is somewhat religious. Like, uh, I would say that it, it kind of is reflected in like a Christian way. Like he was brought up Christian. Yeah. His dad was an evangelical type and uh, he doesn't really buy into like any specific belief or specific church because he, he would probably think that like, Oh yeah. I mean, churches can be, can be wrong too. But the, but the, the book, the word, I mean, that's, hmm. that's, that's good stuff to go by. So he has his dad's Bible. He hmm. reads it for, for any kind of inspiration, he can. He wears a cross, some sort of superstition to maybe protect himself or something. But he's not like part of a organized Christian church or anything like that. For he sure, consider himself a Christian. Yeah, okay, yeah, he does. I mean, Jesus was a hippie in a way. You know, like some people can view that as a way, and was you know anti-establishment. Yeah, definitely. It depends on your outlook, and I could see Wayne having that philosophical outlook. And in his head, like he would probably try to make sense of it as just like, yeah, Jesus was like a like a hippie, like an outsider. And, you know, in his head, he has like this this uh kind of like radical way of looking at it. So it's not as yeah. you know, it's not where the others have gotten it wrong. It's this new way that he sees it, you know. Now, when it comes to your role in the Dakota Investigative Services, how does he look at his job there? Like what he does, like what like what is his outlook when it comes to that, because you guys took a risk together to start this business. You know, Michael's kind of taking the lead on it, but like, what is your outlook on it? Well, I was reluctant to go along with what Miranda was initially proposing, but then I kind of felt like, okay, maybe she's going to be like our connection to, to the bad stuff, like to, to dealing with evil, dealing with things that are, that are wrong. Uh, he's probably just found himself, checking into people cheating and stuff like that. So he's not really sure when that part of it is going to happen, but he's just waiting. He's just ready. And he'll do the nonsense uh, in the meantime. Uh, he's, he's happy to be around his buds. He's happy to not be working at the store anymore, not be wasting his life like he was. He regrets having spent so much time in this fugue state of just day by day, just working a minimum wage job for nothing, going back to the trailer you know, drinking every night and just watching his tiny ass TV. Okay for him before, but it's not, it's not now. It's not enough anymore. Does he enjoy the working there though? Like doing the, like the invest, you yeah. know, cheating on checking, cheating. Yeah, it's, it's fun to him. It, it's okay. definitely fun to him. He's, he doesn't feel like he deserves to, to even be doing uh, like a job like that. He's only ever been like a cashier or pumped gas or, Mm-hmm. You know, had very, very small like mechanic jobs and stuff like that because he's he's quite handy at cars, but mm. he's never and he still he he didn't like he probably didn't pass the test like <laughs> if it were to truly grade his answers or whatever, or was it already completed? I forget it how was already it was already completed. Yeah. yeah if, already you, completed. if you were really to do the test, I'm not sure he could be a private investigator. If his background was really pulled into question, I'm not sure that's a job he could actually have. But 
he's kind of amazed at how this opportunity is just sort of falling into his lap. And this is a strange gig, but you know, God it handed be. it to him. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's thankful for it. All right. Awesome. I, that, that's, that's cool. Um, thank you for the insight there. So you hear a loud alarm clock going off and your eyes snap open and you look straight ahead because you're kind of curled up in the fetal position on your bed sleeping and you see your brown AM FM alarm clock, just the number switched to zero zero. And you see that it's eight in the morning right now. And you hear, hey, well, good morning, Bismarck. All right, it's the 8 o'clock hour here. So we just got done playing Whams. Wake me up before you go-go. So our next hit we're going to be playing here is Guns N' Roses Paradise City. So I hope you all have a great morning here. Let's get going. All right. And you hear, like, the music come through. And you kind of just feel see, feel the sun coming through your trailer window as it's kind of like reflecting on the lamp that is right by your alarm clock and then on the little nightstand by your bed and onto the carpet of your bedroom and your trailer. Now, you live on the south side of Bismarck. You actually live in a trailer that's kind of like a about a half a mile, a mile away from the Bismarck Airport. You live off a university drive off a street called maverick avenue and it's a trailer park that's there and that's the trailer park you've been living at for a while there but you you know you kind of hear the music going through now tell me what is your morning routine when you wake up because you know like in a couple hours you're going to be going by the office there on main street what 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 does wayne do every morning when he gets up what's this trailer look like now does it still look like a hot mess like it looked like before or what does it look like what 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 goes on in your life when your alarm wakes up it's better uh, the trailer is looking a lot better but it's still uh still a trailer his stuff is still pretty shitty stuff. Um, old Walmart stuff that should have been replaced a long time ago or Goodwill stuff. But uh, he'll probably wake up in a bit of a panic uh, just just from the excitement of the of the radio coming on. But he enjoys the song. So he'll uh, he'll lean back in the bed. Uh, he's probably just like shirtless right now, still wearing jeans for whatever reason. And he just like takes the takes a pack of cigarettes and does that thing where he pushes it and the, the one cigarette comes out the top of the soft pack and he puts it in his mouth and lights it and coughs and grunts a couple times before he, uh, before he gets up, uh, he'd probably walk outside, open the door to his trailer and step outside barefoot, just wearing the jeans. Uh, yeah, you stretch and, uh, you know, kind of look at the sun and you step out under the, uh, outside your trailer. Now you have like a little, quote unquote porch where there's like this old like rusted one of those circular charcoal like grills that you cook burgers on once in a while with the sagging like porch that has like that green turf that's like staple to it but it's cold but usually wakes you up because right now it's in the middle of winter in february in north dakota so when you open the door you kind of you feel like the coldest but your trailer is kind of cold too but you're kind of acclimated to this and you stand outside smoking your cigarette and you like a stretching out and you're kind of your hair still undone. You still got the mustache, right? You got the mustache and the hair. Yeah. The hair's out. You're looking around. You see like the road hasn't been plowed that much, but it didn't snow last night, but you see the snow drifts on the side and you see like, there's some kids that are like walking along, like they might be heading to school because it's Monday. And a couple of them just look at you and a couple wave as they walk by as you're sitting there, just like smoking your cigarette. And then when you go back inside, you look out your living room window and you see, you can see into Bruce's trailer who lives 
to your right and you can kind of have view into his dining room in there and you see like bruce is walking to his dining room table and he's just kind of he's about 55 60 years old he's he's kind of overweight but he's not like i don't want to say the term obese but he has like one of those guys with like a big stomach you know like it kind of like grew when they got older and he's kind of like making his way in his tidy whiteies he's just wearing his tidy whiteies with a cup of coffee in his hand and he's making his way to sit down at the dining room table and then you see there's a moment where he looks and he sees you in there and he like waves to you and then he walks over to the window and he kind of like opens the window up and he like motion for you to open up your window. So yeah, even just after being outside for like 10 seconds, I'm probably, I'm probably like freezing cold by now, but he, he was like, he probably would be the type of guy who tries to like psych himself up or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the kids outside, they would just probably see this, this like wild old man, his hair is probably not like old, but he looks very grizzly. Uh, his hair is probably crazy, a little bit longer than it than it was previously. Uh, so yeah, he's going inside and uh, he's kind of just like trying to rub his hands together, shake off that little bit of cold, and he'll go right up to the window and uh, and pop it open to try to talk to Bruce. God damn, it's colder than a witch's tit in a brass bra. What the fuck is this shit? And he's like just smiling at you. How the hell are you, Bruce? Good, good. Fuck, man. Jesus. You liking that new job, man? Wait, I'm fucking tired of fucking talking over this goddamn thing. Hey, come over for a cup of coffee. I'll put on some pants, I promise. But just come over for a cup of coffee, all right? I I give him like the one finger, like the one second motion. And Mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, I'll shut the window. And I just put on like a, like a throw a flannel shirt over my chest and button it up really quick. And I, I throw a pair of hiking boots on no socks, just tie them up really quick. And I, I go out the door and head over to Bruce's bringing my own cup, of course. Yeah. And as you walk, like you're kind of like walking down the sidewalk and walk up to his door and open it up. You kind of hear of the screen door as you open it up and you open the front door, walk in there and you feel that it's warm there. You walk in, you see his living room where there's a TV playing. You're like, Bob Barker's price is right. And you hear, and you hear it as it go. As it going on, you hear movement coming from his bedroom because he went back there and you see him walking. He's wearing like some pajama pants and he's wearing a t-shirt that says uh, Kokomo on it, which is like this hot Beach Boys song from a couple years ago. And you see he goes and he turns down the TV. He's like, come on in, come on in. And he's like motions to a seat that you normally sit at during the winter when you come in since you guys can't really sit up front in front of the trailer that much. And he's taking a sip and he lights a cigarette and he passes the pack to you and he's like, so you're, you're really liking this fucking new job, huh? You haven't moved out of here or nothing. You're making this big money. Like what the, what the, and you realize like to you, you're like, you're not making big money, but you're making better money than you made as a, when you're a gas attendant working at a gas station. But I mean, really in all reality, Jesus was, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy, right? He didn't like, you know, look for big stuff or whatever. So it's like, tell me about this new gig. Like, 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 is there any juicy shit going on? I mean, Bismarck's a fucking small town. There's gotta be like, you got to know some juicy shit going on here, man. Like, tell me some crazy shit. Uh, you know, Bruce, I shouldn't. And I'm kind of giving him that look. Just <laughs> like, go ahead, ask, ask me more. Ask okay. Me more. Okay. So have you like found out like, has anyone like cheated? On, is there like che- any like good, like cheating stories? I love seeing that shit on the shows. Like you can talk all the shit you want, but man, you watch some general hospital and days of our lives. It's the best fucking stories. You see all this scandalous shit that these fucking people do. And I know that shit happens in Bismarck. Cause I mean, I know it's TV, but they got to get their ideas from somewhere, right? So that means it has to happen in real life somewhere. So have you had like any like kind of like love triangle shit or like someone maybe like try to kill their wife and kind of get like the inheritance or anything like that? 
So I'm going to grab this pack of cigarettes and I'm going to take one out of it. Let me tell you about this one shit I saw the other day. This, now this was fucking crazy. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell him some bullshit story about somebody <laughs> I was checking out who was cheating, you know, yeah. maybe just like any story I have where it was like somewhat interesting, like maybe somebody like seeing me or I don't really know, just any kind of like semi interesting story yeah. the job. Cause I could probably just tell him whatever and he'd be excited as fuck because he's just like one of those talkative guys, you know? You have this one story, which is true, but you tell him about this guy who passed away like of, from a car accident in his 40s and his wife ended up finding out he had a whole different family that he had in Minot, North Dakota. And he had like these two families that he was like juggling at the whole time. And so he's just like eating this up. He's like, get the fuck out of here. And you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah Chip Bruce, two families, huh? That's insane. Like how, I mean- holy shit like when god rest your soul but when michelle was alive and you know that was his wife who like passed away like i barely had the energy for her you know i couldn't imagine dealing with two wives like how the fuck do you deal with that shit like and then to my not that's like an hour and a half away i mean like how do you take care of shit like how do you make up that shit that's insane that is really insane and i mean in reality I mean, it's kind of wrong. You're lying to like your wife, right? And she's sitting there taking care of your kids. And then you got this whole other wife and you're like, bada bing, bada boom. And you're saying he had kids with both the ladies. And you know, like, yeah, he had like normal. Like, how the fuck did he like, how did he pull that out? Like, what did he tell them? Like, what was like, how did you get away with it? You know, Bruce, the one thing I've seen in the, the short time I've been working this job, all these people have a knack for making life more complicated. That's the one thing they all have in common with each other. God damn it, Wayne. Like you are lately have seriously been hitting me with some fucking shit that is wise beyond your goddamn years. I'm seriously like, I'm supposed to be the one teaching you wise shit or I'm the whole fucking man here. I thought it just seems like like six months ago, you're beating yourself up about shit and I'm like giving you little pep talks and now you're sitting here like dropping these nuggets of wisdom on me. Like what? what's going on? What's causing it? Like what's with this change, Wayne? And I know you're probably going to dance around the answer like you have been. And you're probably going to do the self-deprecating, like, oh, I'll beat yourself up shit. But seriously, you're like almost, I mean, you're still the good guy that I know. And I love having beers with you. And I love drinking coffee with you. And I love watching movies with you here. But like, seriously, Wayne, I'm impressed. I'm really fucking impressed. Well, thanks, Bruce. I I appreciate that. Yeah. That, that means a lot coming from you. You're you're one of my closest friends and I, I like, uh, I reach out and I, I just like pat him on the back. Like, you know, like real friendly. Yeah. And you see, there's a warm smile that cracks his face. Cause like I said, he's kind of bald and he has like these like thick glasses and you know, he doesn't get out much, you know what I mean? And he doesn't have a lot of money and he's just kind of, but he just see this warm smile, like come across his face. And he's like, <sighs> yeah, he's like, you can all come by and watch wrestling tomorrow night. You want to come by? We have some beer, watch some wrestling. Does a bear shit in the woods? Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Macho Man and fucking Hulk Hogan are teaming up. Like, that is blowing my fucking mind. But I don't think it's going to end good. I don't think it's going to end good. Not at all. <sighs> and then this will fade out as you are sitting there. I, I like do like a, a flexing motion on him and I'd say, all right, Bruce, I'll be by. I'll bring the sixer. All right. Sounds good. And you go about your morning. Next, we'll cut to Derek. Derek, you wake up. Your alarm goes off now is derek let let me ask you this is derek the type of man who wakes up before his alarm goes off or who wakes up when his alarm goes off 
uh, probably depends on how much work he has to do. So if the previous day was like super stressful and he's uh, completely broken down and just collapses in his bed, I don't think he wakes up before his alarm goes off. Your alarm goes off and you wake up. Now, before we continue, you had pretty odd occurrence that happened really like six months ago, right? The whole conversation with Jerry, that proposal he tried to force you upon, getting you to quit your job, that weird discussion that you had with those individuals who knew your cousin who were trying to look into her murder, kind of had the vague answers about what happened but never really fully told you. Like, what does Derek think about all that? Like, what is all going on in his head? Even, like, I mean, he maybe not doesn't think about it anymore. Does he think about it still? Like, what was his reaction to all that? Uh, would Jerry or Meredith have been talking to him about it even more? I mean, you noticed that when it happened, they kind of let be, let it be. You know, they didn't want to force upon you because your reaction and how you, you know, you kind of, you weren't forceful, but you definitely let it be known that you're happy where you're at. And you know, though, that Meredith and Jerry respect you. You know, they never once have ever crossed any kind of line with you. You know, they've never overstepped. And I think with how your reaction was, and no, I prefer not to, they they respected your decision. If I was to guess out of character, and maybe Derek would pick this up, was the fact that they know that you were impacted by the murder of your cousin. And they saw an opportunity for you to maybe contribute to that. And that's why they offered it. And if you chose not to, then obviously you're not comfortable with it. And they're not going to, you know, it was more like a, I don't want to use the term gift, but it was more like a, here is an opportunity. Oh, you choose not to take it. That's perfectly fine. And it doesn't change the status of your relationship with them. And now if you choose to ever bring it up with them, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. And if, and if you, it's up to you if whether or not you did bring it up to them. Right. Yeah. So Derek probably, um, like he tried or tries really hard to convince himself that like, this job um, that he has, the welding shop, like uh, that's a good idea and he should keep it and he needs to help out his father, his his family really, not just his father. And he, he has to keep things moving and things are moving good. So everything should be fine, right? But really um, it's kind of bothering him like in the back of his head. Because um, he feels like he's missing out in a way. He doesn't know what's going on, but um, it uh, it goes back to uh, his anger about the police force who like never turned anything up on the murder of his of his cousin there. So yeah, that, that's definitely bothering him from time to time. But I don't think he would talk about it. Derek strikes me as the type who likes to put a lot of weight on his shoulders. I mean, really, you don't have no choice with when it comes to your father and your mother. But you like to be busy, and you like to... I can almost see where like he's too busy to think about it, and he likes to keep himself occupied, right? Or am I wrong in that assumption? No, I, I would say that's perfectly perfectly right. Like, that's... Um, it's kind of his problem, really, but he doesn't realize it, because of, of course he wants to help his his parents, and he realizes that it's important to do so because his his mother works her ass off and his father can't get by by himself. Like he needs uh, someone to help him out. He couldn't live by himself. Hmm. Um, but also, um, like Derek probably is kind of a loner. Um, 
Um, I would say the the people at his his job are like his only contacts right now. So maybe they hang out sometime when they uh, when they have like uh, finished a big um, a big uh, project, whatever, and everything goes well and chips out. And uh, yes, they probably hang out then and drink some beers, maybe watch some uh, some football, or whatever. Yeah, he's definitely. Someone who's who I almost look at Derek like a salt of the earth kind of guy, you know, like a guy who builds things with his hands. A guy has good intentions. And and that's an aspect that I really enjoy a lot about him. Now, Derek and his parents live in the same apartment complex that is right by the Kirkwood Mall. It's like kind of across the street from the Kirkwood Mall. It's called the Kirkwood Apartments in Bismarck. It's on the west side of bismarck not too far from the missouri river but it's definitely in front of there and when your apartment is basically you live yourself in a one-bedroom apartment right you live above your parents you have like a living room a bedroom and a kitchen and you have like this little like sliding door in your living room and where you could step on like this little like very little patio that's outside of the apartment and you know like enough room to where if you want to like you and a couple people want to stand out there and have like a cigarette and and you from there you can see like the Kirkwood Mall. You can even see it throughout this large picture window that is there that has like the sliding glass door to where you can step onto the patio. You kind of see this huge sign for Sears because there's a Sears store in this mall, and you can see like the parking lot in the morning. You see like a couple cars there, but you see like snow drifts that were plowed to clear out the the ways for people to drive in the mall along the side. And when you are snapped awake by your alarm, you hear this dunk from the floor below and you know it's usually communication that your mom does for you with the broom where she hits the room underneath your bedroom to let you know that breakfast is ready for you down in the apartment below <laughs> i guess i give like a a sharp knock on on the floorboards to let her know that i'm coming i go to the bathroom real quick like i don't want to show up completely uh I like a hot dirty mess and and messy so yeah, I'll take care of that. And then he would get dressed and just go downstairs. So you get dressed and you open up the front of your apartment door and close it. And you're like in this hallway that has like white walls on there and has like floorboards that run, run along the side that are like plastic, you know, like a cheap plastic floorboard that's brown, like the front of the apartment complex. And on the rug, there's like this orangish rug color that is there. And you step out and you kind of walk. You're at the last apartment on the left. So you get out and you just have to make a left. And there's like a glass door that you can open up. Has one of those like metal push things where you push it open. And there's steps that lead down. You see like when you push it out and you go to where you can either go up the steps or down the steps. You go down and you walk them down to where you're on the first floor. And you open up the glass door to get into that hallway and you make the first door on the right is the one where your parents live at and you kind of know at this point you could just open the door when she pounds on the door like that you can open it and just walk in so you walk in and as you walk in and close the door behind you you so you see like you open the door and you see this little closet on the left that has like a little shoe rack you know like a small one where you can put your boots especially in the winter and shoes because people don't want to track snow and the, the the dirt that attaches to the ice and it melts and it makes a mess. So, you know, your parents take off their stuff there and you see like just a little hallway, but on the left is the living room 
and you you look to the left right away and you see that your father is sitting in this like reclining chair that he often sits in that's like five feet away from the tv you see there's like a little tv stand like a a tv meal stand that they used to have these stands where you put in front of a chair and you could put like a tv dinner on but it's on the left of the reclining chair and you see there's like a pack of cigarettes a big crystal ash tray there is a glass of coffee there right now and you see there's like a tv guide there with the remote and you see there's like this cane that he has like it has it looks like a normal cane but at the bottom it has like four legs on it to help people like who have back problems walk and you see that he's smoking a cigarette and he's what he's looking at the tv right now and you take a look at the tv and you see it's the local news and it looks like they're talking about something you can't quite make out what it is you just hear like the gentle murmur of it as he's watching he seems very intent on it and you are concerned too because you see also that your father seems to be having some kind of lung issues now like he has a little like he has this oxygen tank he's supposed to be wearing but he always takes it off when he smokes a cigarette which seems to be like every freaking 10 minutes now 20 minutes that he's smoking a cigarette and he's watching the and he's watching the TV and he's just seems very intent. And the door, as you close the door, he looks up at you for a second. And there's this weird, weird dichotomy between you and your father. I guess this is a term I would use dichotomy, where your father feels almost insecure by the fact that you are having to take care of him. Now, I wouldn't say that your relationship with your father is bad. I would just say that your father, you're definitely closer to your mother. Your father is very quiet. Off, you're very like your father in a weird way that he was about working and he was about, wasn't about relationships and to him being a good father and a good husband was providing, you know, was not drinking and whoring around or doing any of that stuff, but he wasn't an emotional person. He wasn't able to articulate his feelings, at least to you that you saw. And so now for him to concede that you have to provide for him and take care of him, you know that is takes a lot from him for him to do that. And you see sometimes when he looks at you, his initial reaction is disdain. But I wouldn't say it's like in a bad way, like he doesn't like you. It's disdain the fact that he feels weak around you more so than ever. But then you see that look goes away rather quickly and just kind of nods, like this acceptance nod to you. And he goes back and looking at the TV. And then you look ahead because this is a rather small apartment. And you see in the kitchen area that has like this little walk-up counter. And that there's a little kitchen and you see your mom turns and looks at you and smiles and she motions to this plate that's sitting on that counter and has like scrambled eggs, toast, and bacon. And you see she's wearing her Cracker Barrel outfit. She has two jobs. She's a manager, not a manager, kind of like a shift supervisor for a German restaurant at night. But during the morning to lunch, she works at the Cracker Barrel. And you see she has the like the brown and skirt with the yellow, with the white blouse that has like yellow and orange stripes that go down it. And she has like her little nameplate on there and the Cracker Barrel logo is right there and she's like hurry up and eat you got to get to work morning good morning <laughs> and he sits down and he shovels food uh in his mouth um, do you want a coffee do you need any coffee and she says that she's pouring herself a cup of coffee yeah yeah definitely she like pours you some coffee and everything like that she's How's like everything going you know it's good it's good mm. She's, you know, and she takes a sip of coffee and she looks down at you. And you could, when you look up at her, you see she has like her hair starting to gray. Like your mom had like this German blonde hair that you got from her. And it was really hard to, to, to distinguish when her hair started turning gray at first. You weren't quite sure, but now it's starting to become more evident. You know, your mom kind of had like a, it was dirtier blonde than yours. Yours is kind of like, a, yours is lighter blonde. But now when she has it like pulled up in a bun, 
you can see on the sides of her temple as like the strands go along into the bun you can see the gray is starting to stand out and you see like her face is starting to she has more wrinkles she has like the crow eyes that are on the corner like the deep wrinkles and even along like her mouth for a little bit and you can kind of see that she has some bags a little bit under her eyes but not like in a sickly way just in a she works hard you know and you know that your mom is only like in her like late 40s like 47 48 years old but you can tell definitely that she's starting to look older and she's like it's good son it's good we make do with what we have you sure that uh, job isn't what what what's what are my other options yeah i know but uh still those night shifts i mean those have to be tough but yeah but what what i wait what are my options derek i can sit here and i can dwell on it or i can make do and push through it right yeah, I know, but you know, I don't. I'm not the kind of. I don't know uh, what you could do, but I was thinking maybe something in the educational area. You know, like Amanda used to. Just, just worry about yourself, dear. It's all right. You, you, you do enough for us, okay? You need to start thinking about yourself. Yeah, and you, you should think about yourself at times. <laughs> I appreciate it, and I'm glad to have you. And Amanda's a name I haven't heard in a long time. And unlike my sister, I'm glad that I have you in my life still, right? While we may think stuff is hard, at least we have each other. And your father and I are very grateful for what you do. I know he's not that good at saying it. And you guys have this weird like way to communicate with each other where you know the perfect volume level to talk to where he won't overhear when he's watching TV. It's something you learned as a kid. Oftentimes, because he'd come home from work and you would sit and read this newspaper, have a beer, watch the news before he would even talk to anyone. So you kind of know this like weird wavelength, perfect volume pitch. But she's like, we have each other. And that's all that matters, right? Yeah, I guess. I know. Just right now, I really felt like I'm just a nurse coming by his room, checking on him. It feels super distant to me. It's hard for him. Your father, was a, he's a proud man. Your father had a tough life. He had a real tough life. Nothing was handed to your dad. He didn't have parents like you have him and I. His parents, I could tell you stories. There's a reason why you never met them when they were still alive. He didn't want you to see that side of his family. There's only there's a reason why you know Amanda so well. And you know my sister and you know all that side of the family well. But you never, he wanted to keep you away from his side. He wanted you to do better. I, th- I don't know what hurts him more. The, the, the pain. Or the fact that his son, who he tried to work hard to have a better life than him, is stuck taking care of him. Well, let's see how it goes. I, I got this. I got this job now, and with this this big thing uh, for the event center going on right now, like that's gonna be huge if that when that gets done. Maybe, maybe that works out well for me. Yeah, I hope it does. I really do. Mm. To be honest with you, from a mother point of view i hope you start being able to go out on your own and do some stuff well you know how it is um, <laughs> i can't go out in the evening after uh, sitting in the welding shop uh, for all that time i'm filthy and disgusting and tired <laughs> you know who you're starting to sound like and she motions to where your dad's sitting <laughs> every time i asked him to take me out to go dancing at the vfw or something he'd say this almost the same exact thing that you said but once in a blue moon, I could get him to clean up and go out with me. And that was good. Those times were good. And you see a moment when she says that, she kind of like smiles. But then you see her look away for a second. You see the, the sadness kind of like 
washes over her face when she starts thinking about that. And then she collects herself and she's like, hurry up and eat your food. You got to get to work. I got to get to work too. And you see her like yeah. turn around. Derek like, downs his coffee, like, grabs the last piece of toast or whatever. And uh, yeah, just makes his way out, says goodbye uh, to his mother and to his dad in passing. Gets on his boots again and tries to start the car. <laughs> yes. And so starting cars in winter in North Dakota is an interesting endeavor because a lot of apartment complex and trailers have in front of their homes these wooden poles that have these plugs because a lot of people will plug in their, like from their car, will plug in to uh, like a normal plug in that you have on a wall. And what this does is kind of keeps your i believe keeps your engine warm a little bit i'm not a mechanic and someone who may be listening may know the exact logistics behind it to make it to where you can start your car and it's easier to start where if you don't do that unfortunately sometimes your car is just too cold and it won't start so you go out there and you kind of like go and start it up you're like sitting in there like bumbled up like shit it's fucking cold and you go out there and you get your cord and you put it like in the trunk of your car and you slowly drive off to the metal shop that you work at you're in there for about you get in there and you're in there for about 10 or 20 minutes you punch in with your punch card but you just notice like everything seems somber around there you kind of like there's times where you walk in there and everyone's going and vibing and everything and you're just kind of like getting this like this vibe that like from some of your coworkers that you're seeing and you're just kind of seeing like a look of like i'd say well how about this let's do a roll Saying that I haven't had you do a roll yet. Let's have you do uh wits and composure. Let's see have you do wits and composure. And I'll have you roll uh give you a plus one dice since you're usually good at picking up people's emotions, being observant. Right. So I have six normally plus one and I get two successes. So you you walk in and you're starting to feel like, oh, something's up. You know, you can see like stress. You can see people are worried. You see this one guy that you work at this metal fabricator with, like this press, like a mold press that sometimes you partner with. Now, you don't know him too well, but like you said, these are this is your socialization. You know, his name is Greg. He's usually, he's like about 35. He has like three kids. He has like a blonde handlebar mustache. He has like clean, like a kind of cleaner cut blonde hair, skinny guy. And you see him just look at you as you walk up after you punched in your time card. And he's like, oh shit, man, it's not good. What's up, Greg? Oh, oh, man, man, that fucking civic, uh, the civic center job. I, I am hearing it fell through. What? Yeah, I don't fucking We've know. We've been on that for like five months. Yeah, I don't fucking know. All I know is that Richard might be walking by, man. And I heard, I just I keep hearing that there might be fucking pink slips handed out. I got fucking three kids to feed, man. What the fuck am I going to do if I lose this fucking job? Fuck, I'll have to go back on welfare and shit, man. And have to go fucking back and sign for fucking food stamps. My fucking in-laws will fucking not stop ridiculing me if I do that shit again. And there's a moment where you're like looking at him and you're kind of like processing what he says. And you see you look up because this is a huge warehouse with all this equipment. You see that there's like offices, like steps on the side that go up. And there's like a metal walkway that kind of goes around like the top, you know, of the warehouse. And there's offices up there. And you see Richard's door open. And you see him go look around and he looks at you too. He's like, Greg, come up here. I need to speak to you. And you see him for a second look like Greg's, his back is facing Richard, who is your supervisor. I see Greg's eyes like open up and he looks at you for a second. There's like this almost like drowning panic. 
and you look up, you see Richard, and Richard is he's a shorter, dark haired guy with a beard. He's a little heavier set, but a lot of it seems to be muscle. He's the kind of guy who worked himself up the ranks. And you see he has his hands on this banister and he's looking down. And you see Greg go, fuck, man. And he like turns around and like, yeah, I'll be right up there, Richard. You see him put this fake smile on his face and looks back at you, panic one last time. And then he goes and walks towards the steps and walks up the steps. And you see him go into the office. Now, he's up there for about five, ten minutes. You start doing your prepping for your work. But you see, like, oddly, people aren't working as efficiently as they normally are. And then you see the door open again. You see Richard, like, pat him on the back and kind of hand him this envelope, like a little envelope. And you see, like, Greg look up at him. He's like, and you see him look down. And you see this other office, this other person walk out of the office. He's a taller, kind of like, you know, he's like an assistant manager, taller, gaunt guy, older guy. And he, like, just walks with Greg. And then you see him walk down. And you're walking. And you see him open the door and let Greg out. And you see him walk back up the steps, walk back into Richard's office. And you see Richard's store open, close for about five minutes. And you see it open again. And he looks, you see him scanning the room. You see everyone like almost pauses. Like there's just like tension in the air. And you see him looking and he's like, Derek, I need to speak with you upstairs. Yeah. Derek looks up to him, like n- just nods in the direction, uh, takes off all his uh, safety gear and gloves and whatnot, Sorry. moves up the stairs. And- like slowly <laughs> not really sure what to think right now like this is a bit much for him he uh, thought for sure that uh, this would be like a big thing for the company like this this contract you see where you walk up these metal steps and you hear dink 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 as your feet your boots go up them and you walk along the walkway till you get to richard's office and he kind of like motions for you to walk in and you walk and you see his desk. It's cluttered with paper. You see like a Rolodex. You see on the back, there's this Budweiser calendar girl calendar where her tops off kind of makes you a little awkward when you see it sometimes because you're still not quite comfortable around such things. And you see like there's a bunch of different things. You see pictures of his family on the desk. You see a telephone there. And he sits down in his chair and you see that assistant manager sits who's right on a chair. And he looks at you and he's like, sorry, son. I'm going to have to let you go. I know this is kind of a shock. It's kind of a shock to me. The The contract fell through. They gave it to some company from Grand Forks. They fucking pulled it from us. And the only reason why those motherfuckers were able to get it is that they moved a lot of their operations to some shit in Mexico. And I can't match the price. And that was what was keeping us afloat, son. If any consolation to you, I might be on my ass too. It's just what's happening now. All these jobs are getting moved. People are offering what we offer cheaper. I just can't get the same supplies cheaper. There's a lot that comes behind that. And the, the folks the folks behind that fucking project didn't keep their word. And unfortunately, in business, there's no such thing as fucking honor or keeping your word, I guess. But when you see him like open his desk drawer and he pulls out this envelope and he kind of slides it over to you, here's a month's advance pay. Hopefully, this will help keep you afloat until you find something. If you ever need a referral... You're more than welcome to use me. I think just Derek is kind of looking past him or maybe even looking down like at the desk, not really in the face of his supervisor there. Um, maybe kneading uh, like his fingers uh, off his big hands just uh, because everything like sets in and he almost fe- feels like he he's shaking a little bit. 
And you see there's a moment where you hear the drawer open up again and you hear a, two glasses being dropped on the table. Then you see him pulling out a, a Jack Daniels bottle and you hear the top, the plastic top spin off and you hear like pouring into it, one of the cups and pouring into the other. And he like takes it and he like puts it in front of you. Here you go, son. This will calm your nerves. Yeah, Derek takes it and just like presses out. Do you have any any contacts here in the area? Like anywhere that I can ring, could ring up? No, I don't. I don't. Everyone's feeling. All I can say, son, is go out there and look. And if you need a recommendation, if you need a referral, you can use me. But I don't know anyone. Or I would give every single one of you a job if I could. I'll tell you what. If we happen to get another contract, you're one of the top people I'm going to call when we start hiring again. If that happens. Please do. I will. And you see, like, there's this awkward moment and he gets up and you see the system manager get up, which is like this weird, unspoken communication. Now time for you to get up. And they kind of look down at you. They look down at me. I'm pretty sure I'm taller than them. No, 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 no. I mean, if you're still sitting, I'm sorry. Unless you stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not trying to intimidate oh, yeah. you. They're just trying to do that awkward, like, okay, I'm standing up. It's time to yeah. Time stand up. Like Derek gets up and takes his envelope, remembers that it's Probably a nice gesture to shake their hands, but like he just want to get wants to get out of there. Like right now, yeah. it's sickening to him. Yeah, and he shakes your hand, and they kind of you see the system manager like walks you down, doesn't say nothing, and walks down the steps with you. And when you get to the door to go out, you hear Richard go again, Brian. I need to speak to you upstairs, and you are the door closes behind you, and you're left out in the cold looking at your car. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded one that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.